John 9 is a long chapter, and this chapter begins with the disciples noticing a man who was blind since birth and asking Jesus whether the man was blind because he himself had sinned or because his parents had sinned. Jesus then healed the blind man with a mixture of mud and spit and sent him to wash in the nearby pool. The miraculous healing took place on the Sabbath. Can you imagine being born without sight and receiving that gift? Well, there was no celebration from his community. Instead, the neighbors questioned a formerly blind man, as some didn't even recognize him, and some didn't believe his story. His neighbors then brought him to the Pharisees who questioned the healed man, and the Pharisees even brought in his parents, and he asked them, they asked them all kinds of questions. Well, the parents admitted it was indeed their son who had been healed, but they were very reluctant to say more out of fear of persecution. The interrogation about Jesus was with a tone of skepticism and accusation, an interrogation that left no space for rejoicing for the newly sighted man. He didn't know who Jesus was, but he had no problem vouching for him. So the story continues here on verse 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. So for the second time, the Pharisees called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to also become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven, driven in him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, oh, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of all beauty, goodness, and truth, open our eyes and our hearts to your word 
and guide our feet by your spirit so we can shout and sing from the mountaintops the good news of your peace. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, on a very basic level, I can relate to this passage because I myself have very bad vision. Thank goodness for Dr. Strom and my ophthalmologist, I have the right prescription of contact lenses and glasses that allows me to function normally. But in that moment when I wake up in the morning and want to see the new day, I begin the panicky ritual of tapping my hand on a nightstand until I can feel the plastic and glass combination that takes away the total blur that surrounds me. Every morning, going from what feels like to me near blindness to sight is a great reminder to never take vision for granted. That simple morning instant transformation always feels miraculous to me. Transformation happens to everyone, and one way or another, we change. It can be sudden, or it can take a lifetime. There are lovely and natural physical changes that come with getting older, of course, but hopefully with each new wrinkle comes new wisdom, right? Society always wants us to transform as long as we buy their products. The before and after sells really well in this country. Well, our mind can be transformed over time on issues that we once disagreed with. And with the passing of time, we soften up and we hear with new ears and we see with new eyes. Transformation can be from bad to good, but it can also be from good to bad if we lose our way and if we let the influences of the world take over our lives. My youth choir recently participated in the Florida premiere of the Children's March, which was a musical offering that tells the journey of a thousand children, ages seven through 18, marching and protesting peacefully in Birmingham, Alabama in May, 1963. The children on their walk experienced police brutality, including being sprayed with water hoses that had a flow so strong that it could take the bark off of trees. They kept walking, even though police dogs were released to attack the children. The children sang of freedom as they walked peacefully, even through their fear. The lives of African Americans were slowly, very slowly, transformed by this and other actions, which eventually led to the signing of the Civil Rights Acts uh, in 1964. Oh, there is a lot more walking to do. But the children changed many hearts. Many who were blind to the injustices of the time began to finally see. With God as the leader of their procession, the children carried their cross and shined the light of Christ despite their own suffering. And it's a light that must keep shining brighter, this light of justice. In today's passage, we have a blind man who is transformed into a seeing man. And this man lets the light of Christ enter his world, giving him new vision, while others choose darkness and not to recognize the Son of God. The blind man got up that morning not knowing that his life would be changed forever. He most likely did what he would have done every day, sat and begged, and knowing that he would be mostly ignored. 
But Jesus, a stranger, arrived with his disciples. And Jesus showed the disciples how God could work through this man. Now, disabilities in these times were synonymous with sinning just because disability could not otherwise be explained. And the blind man trusted Jesus enough to let him put mud and spit in his eyes. And as instructed, he went to the pool and he just washed it off. And a miracle of sight happened. Yes, this man could now see. And yet, the real transformation was his faith. The new follower of Jesus did not hesitate a minute to offer Jesus' name to the religious authorities and to profess his newfound faith in him to the Pharisees, knowing full well that he would be in trouble with them. Just like the conversation heard last week between the Samaritan women and Jesus, there was a rapid transformation and conversion happening just in the space of a few verses. And that transformation happened because in both cases, Hope was lost. Jesus promised living water to the Samaritan woman, and a blind man was healed by faith in Jesus. They were lost, and now were found. Transformation happens in many ways, thanks to God. I recently read a book by Eric Lomax called The Railway Men. Lomax had a love for trains from the time he was little, and as fate would have it, he ended up as a British prisoner of war in 1942, working to build a Burma railway, often nicknamed the Death Railway. A quarter of a million civilians and captured allies were forced to build it, and tens of thousands lost their lives through starvation and heat strokes and beatings. While a prisoner, Eric and a few other men built a makeshift radio receiver, and it was discovered. They were accused and tortured, waterboarded, their bones were broken, and they were kept near death for weeks. As he recalled the horror in detail of his darkest days in the book, Lomax often mentioned the presence of a Japanese interpreter who would translate the questions of the interrogators. And although the men didn't physically touch him other than checking for his pulse, his voice later became the object of Lomax's obsession. After being released, the young Lomax returned somewhat to a normal life, as normal as it could be. However, the night terrors were very intense, and Lomax began to dream of vengeance, and his thoughts were directed towards the interpreter. He wanted him to experience suffering. The obsession grew and grew. Retirement brought no relief to his desires for revenge. He began researching the events from his youth and looking desperately for answers. And through intense research, he ended up finding the man that he was looking for all these years. His name was Takashi Nagase. And Lomax discovered that the man had himself written a book in which the author wrote that he was filled with remorse and shared how he could barely sleep himself, that night terrors at the memories of the tortures he witnessed were haunting him. He wrote about his encounter with a group of five British prisoners who had built a radio receiver, and he lingered especially on the memories of one particular soldier because of the harsh torture he endured. Lomax. 
hear Harlow Lomax's words. My turning point came in 1987 when I came across the Medical Foundation for Victims of Torture. For the first time, I was able to unload the hate that had become my prison. Seeing the change in me, my wife wrote to Nagasi. The letter he wrote back was full of compassion, and I think at that moment, I lost whatever hard armor I had wrapped around me and began to think the unthinkable. The meeting took place in 1998 in Canberra, Thailand. When we met, Nagasi greeted me with a formal bow. I took his hands and said in Japanese, Good morning, Mr. Nagasi. How are you? He was trembling and crying, and he said over and over, I am so sorry, so very sorry. I had come with no sympathy for this man, and yet Nagasi, through his complete humility, turned this around. In the days that followed, we spent a lot of time together talking and laughing. It transpired that we had much in common. We promised to keep in touch and have remained friends ever since. After our meeting, I felt I'd come to some kind of peace and resolution. Forgiveness is possible when someone is ready to accept forgiveness. Sometimes the hating has to stop. Eric Lomax, Eric Lomax had been consumed by revenge, and God worked in miraculous ways for this transformation to happen. Lomax offered the forgiveness Nagasi so needed, and Nagasi had spent himself his life working for reconciliation and peace. They both had been lost for so long, and now they both could see. Hatred and desire for vengeance that lasted over 40 years turned into compassion and a newly found freedom and even friendship. This incredible story of redemption reminds me of the transformation of Saul into Paul from being a man who tortured Christians to one who received sight through Christ and who became the most, one of the most powerful witnesses of Jesus. One of our most beloved church hymns says, I once was blind, but now I see. Many of you know the story of John Newton, who penned the words of Amazing Grace in 1779. In his early years, Newton sailed ship after ship, trading slaves. He experienced a spiritual transformation as he woke up in the middle of a storm that nearly sank the ship. He called for God's mercy. He had lost hope in what he could accomplish on his own and turned to God. From then on, Newton turned towards Christ and changed his ways. His blindness remained for some time because Newton did not abandon slave trading right away. But the, as time went on, the more he realized the sins that he had committed. And he joined a clergy and joined a campaign against the slave trade. Some transformations can take years. What is important to take note of in John's passage is that Jesus said to the religious authorities that because they think they see, they are in fact blind. That's a lot to think about. Being in a position of authority can bring blindness because it can remove the humility necessary to see clearly. Sometimes when someone is in a position of authority, their vision may get clouded with vanity and self-importance. 
The religious authorities thought they knew everything and did not want to hear about things they did not believe. And this is why we wear our What Would Jesus Do bracelets for Lent. That reminds us to, they remind us to humble ourselves, to listen for God's voice in our lives and everything that we do. What about you and I? Do we see? What work is God doing through us to get us to see more clearly? What are we blind to? The suffering around us? Are we blinded by our money? Where do we put our time and treasures? Well, God works through us and transforms us. And when we let God enter in to do these things and to put mud in our eyes, we get to wash off and then see the world with a brand new set of eyes. We're approaching Holy Week and every year we get to take an inward look at ourselves and we humble ourselves enough to journey with Christ to the cross. This is where the ultimate transformation happens. The biggest before and after that we can imagine. The incredible miracle of the resurrection. The Lamb of God bringing hope to the world at the empty tomb. We once were blind, but now we see.